Joining us now from somewhere near, I don't think it's the tundra, I think it's all right, is our friend Mr. Al Bat. Birding with Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over there? The Any snow yet? Uh, no snow yet. No, okay. it's still um, gr- green and brown and all kinds of shades in between. So it's a, it's a nice day again, man. I just I, I love every day. I, I want to wish happy Thanksgiving to everybody. If I forget to on the back end, I hope everyone uh, travels safely. And um, I'll keep my fingers crossed that everybody can make it to where they need to be. We've got all kinds of places, but uh, who knows what's going to happen. You know, we've had uh, troubles traveling before at Thanksgiving, so I guess that's nothing new for for a lot of us. I, I feel sorry, Karen. Yeah, I shouldn't say I feel sorry because they're going to see loved ones and things, but I don't have to spend any time in an airport. That's and nice, I, yeah. My heart. Yeah, my heart goes out to everybody that's going to be living in an airport maybe for a while. It's just a tough place to be, and uh, you certainly that's where stories come from when things happen like that. But, uh, boy. Do uh, you know one time I was, I was going to say, one time when I got stuck at an airport, I was interviewed by um, 60 Minutes. They They had a thing where they did a story on how airline, um, it was getting very stressful. And this was probably back in, I want to say, 2000 and one so it's been a while but i they actually put a call out and and i'd had an experience where i ended up stuck overnight and had to sleep on the top of this i don't know this big thing under the estimated or the time of arrivals and departure and you know you clutch your your bags so you don't want anybody to steal it and they had other people who had almost got in fist fights and so anyway they did a thing on that so i actually made it on 60 minutes because of my bad airline experience and that was kind of a fun deal they flew me out to new york paid for everything hotel and and I got to, it was Steve Croft was the reporter at the time and got to chat with him and got to see Central Park. So, you know, it, oh it turned out goodness. like a, a cool thing for me. Um, free trip is, I guess, and being on 60 Minutes. So that was a fun deal. That is something. My goodness. And you weren't being investigated. So no. Pretty much. <laughs> you, you had no, you know, that flop sweat on your upper lip or anything <laughs> while they're, they're grilling you about no. some sort of financial dealings on an international basis. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, I've slept a lot at airports, and it used to be fairly decent sleeping. And then 9-11 happened, and oh, then yeah. they would give those orange alert notices uh, at a full volume about every five minutes. So it, gave, <laughs> it was impossible to sleep for a long time because they kept waking you up. And <laughs> then they insisted on putting these permanent bars on so many of the seats that yes. made uh, sleeping lengthwise impossible. So. I I do want to thank everybody who was at the Minnesota Association of Townships annual conference. It was held at the Verizon Center, or the at the center, I should say, the Civic Center in Mankato for allowing me to speak to them. It was uh, great fun and great folks. And everybody, free admission to uh, 75 Minnesota State Parks and Recreation Areas is on the day after Thanksgiving. So... If you're kind of like me and not so crazy about shopping on Black Friday, you can visit a, a, a state park and just wander around and have a, a nice time there uh, being away from stores, and it's it's free, so mm-hmm. you get something free there, too. So they're waiving all fees. 
and why they just uh, want to encourage all Minnesotans to get outdoors, and uh, they want you to come back again and again and again. And uh, I love walking at state parks. Oh, I, you know, I, I, I mention every so often my addiction to Fitbit. Yes. I have earned the monarch migration badge now. So Ooh. every year the monarch butterfly migrates 2,500 miles, and so did I. So I got one of those. <laughs> so I, I don't know what I'll do with this badge. You know, I uh, think about it proudly, I guess. But it's, it's, it's fun getting these things. They're kind of goofy, but it's a neat thing. And also a great number of photos of mine are in the Blissful Birder calendars. Oh. Uh, the Blissful Birder is a uh, birding store. And also the good folks at Hammer Museum are putting up a plaque with a, a, a wise saying, well, not a wise saying, a goofy saying of mine at the Hammer Museum in Haines. So uh, you get 60 minutes, <laughs> I get the Hammer Museum in Haines. That's so wonderful. and and. Uh, I'm looking at the calendar and, and the pictures. I've seen some of yours online, and oh my goodness, they're they're wonderful. Do you have any secrets to your camera? Like if people are looking for Christmas gifts for maybe someone that that you could uh, offer up, or for or just maybe you're just more patient than a lot of people. I'm thinking that would be it. Um, if if folks want to take nice photos. Uh, is certainly maybe take a class in photography and uh, a class in patience that is usually self-taught because I, I think that's the secret is just patience and and looking looking all the time uh, that's the other thing uh, there's a lot of old sayings that say we see what we look for and I think that's very true when it comes to photography and when I was in Haines, I saw so many photos. People would share their photos with me, and oh my gosh, they just take my breath away. That, and I watch those folks. They go out at daybreak. They're standing there with their camera, and when the sun is setting, they're standing there with their camera. So a lot of it is just that. Uh, the best light. The secret is. Yeah, oh, there's a golden moment. Uh, yes. I took, I don't know how many photos of that. I head out to Chilkoot Lake, and there's a, a time oh, between 7.30 and 8 in the mornings. There's a golden moment when the sun hits the peaks of those mountains around Chilkoot Lake, and it casts a golden. It's like they've been edged in gold, and it's just, oh, I just love seeing there. And uh, there was a bear, so I took a number of pictures of a bear that joined me for the golden moment. It was more interesting catching a salmon, which it did pretty quickly. But it, it's just, I look forward to that visit to the Chilkoot Lake every day just because of that. It's one of those things that uh, John Muir wrote about the magic of the mountains, and I see it each time I see that. I, there was a red squirrel chattering at me early this morning, and I tell everybody that a red squirrel could take me in a best-of-three-falls match easily. <laughs> and, and I walked down a trail in Sitka where a brown bear had been sighted earlier in the day, just a, a couple hours, but I needed to get to the end of the trail. So there was a young fellow from California. He works for the... Oh, those. If you do fly sometimes and you get sorted out from the, the good people and they put you in the bad people line where you got to stand up with your hands in the air where this machine goes around you and to see why you're um, setting off some sort of alarm. 
he works on those, and his job is to adjust those to make sure they're just at the proper uh, proper setting to detect any um, uh, things that we might be up to out there. So he fell in line with me. Where I'm walking, and he's walking, and he just he came up, uh, a young guy, and he started talking to me and asked what I was doing, and I said, well, I'm walking. i got to put on some miles because I want that Monarch Migration Badge. <laughs> and I didn't even know about it then, but he said, do you mind if I walk with you? And I said, no, and he was from Bakersfield, California. And uh, we're walking along, and I start down that trail, and he expressed great concern about being in Bruin territory, as anybody with half a brain would do. And I told him he shouldn't worry too much about the bears because neither one of us would be able to handle one of Alaska squirrels, which are the red squirrels. So if we tangled with one of those, we'd lose. Plus, I told him he was a young guy. He'd be able to outrun me if there were problems. It was funny because the whole time we walked, we walked to the Sitka Raptor Center, and he whistled loudly and off-key. And I think it was in the hopes that the bear would hold its paws over its ears until we reached our destination, which we did okay. At the American Bald Eagle Foundation in Haines, i got a couple last things here about my Alaska trip. And the bald eagles living there, they're education birds for one reason or another. They cannot be released. They have a bad wing or a... Uh, a damaged brain in some cases, sadly, but some sort of injury has brought them to the American Bald Eagle Foundation. They enjoy ripping up cardboard tubes, the kinds you get from toilet paper and paper towels, uh, cardboard boxes, phone books, and egg cartons. And I guess it who knows why. It gives them something to do, I guess. Raptors spend a lot of time just perched and then eating. And this would provide a little bit of exercise, other than some of them can fly, and the ones that can fly are certainly flown regularly. Cheryl McRoberts is the executive director of the American Bald Eagle Foundation in Haines, and she had asked local residents to share those items with her, the cardboard items. And Cheryl said that whenever she receives toilet paper tubes, she knows someone has been thinking of her. So I think that's a, a good way to go through life. I heard from Eric Steinmetz, good guy. He said, listen to your weekly call to Karen at KMSU with great enjoyment. He asked if I ever read Michael Chabon's novel, The Yiddish Policeman's Union, from a few years back. Uh, in it, Sitka is a settlement of European Jews who fled the Nazis and were given permission to settle in Alaska. The story is set in the year 2000 or so, when the colony had grown to a couple million people and is nearing the end of its lease. I lent a book to somebody and never gotten it back, or I would read it again. Haven't thought of it in years until hearing you talk about Sitka and all those images came rushing back. I have not. Um, you know, I told Eric the one that we hear most people mention about Sitka is uh, Louis L'Amour, the I don't know if cowboy writer, the Western writer, uh, what would be. My dad liked him, and uh, boy, a lot of people do. I believe he was from Jamestown, North Dakota, because I've been in his museum out there. Uh, Peter Orr, who lives in Houston, Minnesota, said, uh, I had a red-headed woodpecker at the feeder the first time I have seen one in many years, and this uh, 
Earlier this year, I had a visit by a scarlet tanager, one of only three I've seen in recent years. We have good cover next to our bird feeder, four rows of white pine planted in 1997. And thank you, Peter, that sure helps, that uh, setting up some sort of um, bird cover. Uh, Doug Haar said it was interesting was a large number of flies and other flying insects in the air on a warm November day and watching some birds imitating flycatchers. There was a flock of about 14 cedar waxwings flying out over the lake and catching insects in flight like they do in the summer. A couple of red-bellied woodpeckers were catching insects in flight, something I've not seen one do before. Yeah, when I think of uh, fly-catching woodpeckers, I think of red-headed woodpeckers. They are great fly-catchers. Aaron Peach of, uh, saw a Nicolet in Nicolet County, saw a common merganser, which is um, probably rare this time of year. Chad Hines of Blue Earth saw a eared grebe in Blue Earth County. Brian Smith saw a golden eagle in New Ulm in Brown County. And Roger Clark, who listens in Colorado, said uh, it was great to visit Haines. And along with the Eagles, I am in awe of the beautiful mountains surrounding the area. I will be back many times. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, Good friend Tim Scott sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It was uh, The Art of the Bird. And it was written by another good friend, Julie Zikafus, who lives in Ohio and a wonderful writer and just a uh, tremendous bird artist, uh, incredible. Someone uh, asked, will putting mothballs under the hood keep the mice out of my car? No. <laughs> oh, you know, I I'll, I always hear from people who say, boy, it sure does. I don't see any mice in there, but I'm going to go with probably not. Uh, mothballs are pesticides that release a gas vapor that kills and repels moths and their larvae. And they're toxic to humans and pets. And as a pesticide, they're regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency. So I wouldn't recommend using mothballs to repulse mice. Mothballs, they're just not an effective pest repellent as far as mice go. And the idea is that when the chemicals in mothballs react with the air, they produce fumes that are irritating to mice and rats. And for mothballs to discourage mice, the fumigant concentration must be extremely high. So if you can take the smell, so can the mice. And I, I tell a, a story. I was working at a state or a county fair, and the fellow who was my direct supervisor said to put mothballs in all the corners of this building because squirrels were getting in there. Well, we had a red squirrel get in there, and he built a little kind of a bed and nest right by the mothballs. So we would have to make the mothballs so bad that we could not stand the smell. And again, uh, mothballs are toxic to humans and pets. So uh, I, I would not recommend it. And I know a lot of people do it, put them on tractors and lawnmowers and all that, but... Uh, Cheryl said, I saw morning doves in my yard last winter. Don't they migrate? Well, morning dove migration is a a complicated affair, and it's called differential migration. 
So throw that out during lunch to somebody and just say, what do you think about differential migration? And uh, they will uh, probably look at you strangely and start talking about immigrants coming to this country, I would guess. And then you could say, no, no, it's morning doves. And it's related to a bird's age and sex. So they move south from oh, probably late August is when the first ones leave here through November. Young doves leave first, and then they're followed by the adult females, and then the adult males are last. Why? Because they're stubborn, as most males are. Guys, we know we are. We just don't like to admit it because we're stubborn. Some morning doves, most of them adult males, don't migrate at all, but they stay here. Why would you stay here? They, they get the weather report. They hear that, the storm coming in. Well, the males find it worth it to brave bad weather and frostbitten toes. They can frostbite their toes. A lot of birds do all right in the winter. Doves, not so much. But they do this to get a head start on establishing a good breeding territory early in the spring. So the doves make a whistling sound when they take to the air. The sound comes from the bird's powerful wings. It's believed to be a natural alarm system warning other doves that danger is near while while startling a possible predator because it will startle people sometimes and i suppose they well we are predators because there is a dove hunting season so it's they hang around because it's worth it they can be the first on territory and they're going to have the most breeding success so it's uh, uh, you know, a lot of the success in the world goes to those that show up. So the morning does want to be those that show up. They don't want to have to have something happen to them in the journey down and back. Do they all survive here in the winter? No. No, it's, I don't know what the numbers are, and it's probably impossible to find that out, but uh, a lot of them would succumb to our, our less than friendly winter weather. A listener said, Al, are there any big trees in southern Minnesota I could see? Um, We have a lot of big trees, but you're probably uh, referencing maybe, are there record trees? The DNR has a big tree registry, and the state has, I believe, 52 native species. And they go out and they measure them. They determine it by circumference, height, and crown spread. And if you have a really big tree, you can submit it to the DNR, Big Tree Registry. Uh, ones around here, uh, Faribault has an ironwood tree, Faribault County. And it's 37 feet tall, which is big for an ironwood. One uh, else, Martin County has a honey locust that's 80 feet tall. Nicollet has a green ash, 91 feet tall, and a black cherry, 120 feet tall. Olmstead has a black maple, 78 feet tall, a baroque, 68 feet tall, and a black walnut, 112 feet tall. Scott, a bitternut hickory, 87 feet tall, and a white oak, 60 feet tall. Steel, a Kentucky coffee tree, 68, and a shagbark hickory, 93. Wasika has a hackberry, 84. Mm. Uh, again, the DNR requires a completed form and a photo of a tree to be considered for Minnesota's big tree registry. But it, I'm sure there's some trees that are probably bigger than those that they have on record there, but they just um, aren't haven't been made aware of them but it, it's uh, 
it's cool. And again, you can go to the DNR uh, site online and look up Big Tree Registry. And uh, I don't know if you get a certificate if you have one in your yard. It wouldn't surprise me saying, hey, thanks for having a really big tree in your yard. I think you should get a plaque or something, you know, don't you? That would be then you could be a historical marker (laughs) of some sorts and all people would stop by all the time. I th- I think so because we are uh, plaque and certificate driven folks. So you know certificates of participation. You go to a meeting and sit through four hours or something. You get this certificate that says you are uh, <laughs> qualified to sit through four hour meetings from this point on. So uh, way to go! And well, it's signed by somebody you don't know usually. All it took for you is just to get that monarch. Uh, what do you call that? The monarch's uh, badge on your your Fitbit and see that worked for you. So yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I, I probably the monarchs will probably get ahead of me next year, though. So twenty five hundred miles I could make, but then, then they're going to fly back right away, <laughs> and then they're going to fly down again. So I don't know if you have to do five thousand next year. That might be a little, little harder to do. What but, is uh, your next badge? Yeah, it, uh, your next goal for badge? I, I have no idea. Oh. It, it's always a surprise. I get this little deal from Fitbit that says, "Hey, you walked the length of Italy, or you, you, you know, you went to all these different places." So it, it's pretty cool. It's just um, they know what they're doing. They have good people out there that are in the uh, uh, business development area, or they're out there saying, "Boy, we'll send this guy and this hick in Minnesota that he's walked uh, to Mexico and." Uh, He'll be excited, and he'll buy a new Fitbit this Christmas. So, uh, Sadly, they don't know me. Uh, it's probably not going to happen, <laughs> as long as my old one works. You know, I'm one of those guys, as long as stuff works, we'll just keep using it till it falls completely apart. I've, I've worn out just one band so far, wow. so I thought maybe I would go through more bands. But Hey, I've got an easy uh, a nice, I was gonna say I've got an sure. easy one for you for Al. It says this is from our friend John in New Elm for you. He said, Why did the grass or what did the grass say when it didn't rain for many days? What did the grass say when it did not rain for many days? Oh, I'm thinking of a bunch of them, but I bet they're all going to be wrong. I wish he wouldn't say they're easy because that <laughs> puts a lot of pressure on you know if they say it's a hard one. Then it's usually easier to get. Well, I don't. Uh, guess we'll just have know. to make do. Oh <laughs> gosh, that's a good one, John. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thought I'd share that with you. You know, he did a poem a couple weeks ago. He said, "Did Dal read it?" And you did read his poem from a yep. couple weeks ago. I so. did indeed. Yes. And I'm sorry that I am unlike Fitbit, John. I don't send you a, uh, a congratulatory uh, notice, but I should. And uh, it's it's my problem and not yours. But we appreciate you listening and participating. Uh, a listener asks, how can I tell if it's a centipede or a millipede? Oh, that is, I like centipedes and millipedes. We, uh, When you enter your basement zoo, because if you have a basement, you probably have a zoo down there, whether you know it or not, <laughs> and a centipede moves quickly. They just, they're going, and their legs are to the sides. A millipede moves slow, just barely moves, and its legs are under its armored body. So if it's really fast, it's a centipede. If it's really slow, it's a millipede, and uh, uh, everybody's basement has them. I talked to somebody that was so concerned because they had critters in their basement, and I said, well, 
you know, you're going to have stuff in your basement because there's things that their goal in life apparently is to get into your basement and they're going to work full time on it and you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, so uh, somebody uh, sent me a text today about some kind of uh, mouse trap. Oh, I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, it's uh, from New Zealand and it's it's uh, supposed to be a humane because they don't use poison or anything. It's for like rats and mice. And then rats and mice stick their head in there, and a hammer comes down and clobbers them and kills them immediately. And they have uh, oh, you can do 24 at a time. It's it's an interesting thing. But they sent me a thing. It was two hundred dollars for this hmm. mouse trap, and I thought, you know, I'm probably gonna pass yes. on that. But I. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I'm going to look up his text here if I can, but I probably won't be able to. That sounds like a lot. I hope <laughs> it it is a it's a uh, A24 rat and mouse trap kick from the Good Nature Company, which I think is probably in New Zealand. So it looks like a power drill. It's all orange and black, oh, like a lot of power drills are. I just brought it up on yeah. my thing. Yeah, it looks like, you're right, or a hair dryer even almost with a bunch yeah. of... Let's see, it says it's in, it, it has superb design engineering principles and behavioral science with the highest manufacturing standards to deliver a trap that will kill up to 25 times per CO2 canister. So it's using CO2 apparently. This yep. works on rats yep. and mice, certified humane. Mice and rats are killed instantly, toxin-free, uh, long-lasting. Lure requires checking monthly, so it, it, it lasts for 24 kills. So I don't know, how, how does that work then? Do, are they in this little container thing, or, or will they stink they then? They stick their head in this hole because there's bait in there, okay. and then the, like Maxwell Silver Hammer comes down, and kapow. Really? And they're they're goners. They fall to the ground if it's outside, and then it auto resets itself. Oh. So they said now scavengers can come and get the rat or mouse and not be poisoned by that rat or mouse if it has poison in the system. But so what if a cat or suck stuck its head in there? Would it get kapowed too, though? It wouldn't be able to get its head in there. It's kind oh. of a small. So it, a rat would be the largest thing that can get in there. So it's. Yeah, if anybody's ever used one of these things, I'd love to hear. But uh, being a too cheap guy here, I'm not going to spend 200 bucks. I'm afraid. For well, you, that. I just it was, found uh, it on uh, online for 159. So there you go. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> you know, Black Friday, 49 dollars is what I'm guessing. Okay. But probably not. <laughs> and not, I then don't what? Think you, anything I ever want. Then what you have to do is replace those CO2 canisters. You can get a 30-pack, though, for 100 bucks. So, yeah, it, it's um, going to cost you a little to upkeep and stuff. But, yeah, that's that's an interesting concept. And I know people do live traps, but let me ask you, live traps really, I mean, you're just kind of moving the problem to somebody else's place if you just take them yeah. out in the country, really. Yeah, yeah you are. And, and, you know, if you're doing mice, um, I don't know how to break this to you, but nobody wants your mice for the most part. <laughs> we just we have our own mice, so yeah, I understand that people don't want to kill mouse. But if you catch some mice and you haul them ten miles away, it's not going to be good for the mouse either. No. It's just not going to work out. They're going to be in a strange area, and probably bad things are going to happen to them. Um, mice don't have a very long life to begin with because there's uh, a lot of things that want to want to catch them and eat them. 
and so it's yeah it's it's tough uh, and they're cute you know i was oh years ago in our old house uh, not the one we live in now but another house i'm working and i got a a computer one of the first computers i think that we ever had that took like you it was dial up and you had to fire it up and then wait like three or four days and then you could use it and i'm typing slowly on it look up here's a little mouse on the top of the monitor looking at me like what are you up to there dude and you know so i said oh, you know i wanted to and I just yell at him, but he was just so cute, and it was probably around a holiday, so I didn't dare. Speaking of I holiday, wanna, I was going to say, before no. you go, you got a little turkey talk quick before we go. I promise people we might just talk a little bit about turkeys quickly before, you know, since sure. it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, a friend just called me and said if anybody needs uh, turkeys uh, to uh, for Thanksgiving, he has 27 of them in his yard. Oh, my. So he said uh, they're welcome to come over and get them. <laughs> uh, turkeys are, I like turkeys. Uh, I, I like seeing them. I know um, I went to uh, a church, spoke in a church, big Lutheran church. It was tall. And they had turkeys roosting at the top, and the pastor uh, asked me what he could do, and I rolled out that old joke. I said, the best thing you can do is baptize and confirm them, then you only see them once or twice a year. And um, that was probably not helpful. (laughs) But I think they went up there and put up some kind of uh, deterrent for them roosting there. Um, Turkeys, I, you know... I wonder, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Turkey is such a tradition at um, Thanksgiving, but it'd be interesting to see what percent of people prefer Turkey over everything else at Thanksgiving. Me, I'm like a mashed potato guy, that's and gravy, that's what I want. Uh, Turkey is just off to the side a little bit, and I put gravy on it too, because gravy covers a multitude of sins and blessings. It'd be interesting to know how many people, uh, turkey is their number one thing. I know a lot of folks say the best thing about turkey is leftovers, uh, turkey sandwiches and that sort of thing, and that might be part of the case there. But Do you know, I, oh, I was going to say recently our, our 4-H club, they're mostly younger, real young kids, uh, had a thing where when you do your, um, you know, the, the roll call, you have to say something you like. In this case, it was, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? And almost most of the kids said mashed potatoes, which I thought was fun, kind of interesting. And then the other thing most of them said was ham, and turkey was not among the top. So, you know, that's a little sample of, of 20-some kids in um, North Mankato Explorers 4-H. So there you go. And I'd be right there with them. I'd um, prefer ham as well. But, okay. You know, we have turkey, and we have it grilled, and we have regular turkey. So it's. Uh, I just hope everybody has the very, very best of Thanksgiving. And as we hear every year, we can be thankful that we're not a turkey. And, well, in... <laughs> in the certain definition of turkey. Um, uh, last thing before I forget, I want to thank everyone. I spent uh, uh, some time here at uh, the Mayo Clinic in in Rochester. Um, uh, I was there all day yesterday, and I just want to thank everybody in our, our health profession that, for putting up with people like me. I had tests all day, and I told them all I'm a screamer, so to be ready if they're poking <laughs> me with things. So they were they were ready, and I, I just, you know, I so appreciate those good people. They're nice. They're kind. They they 
aren't sick of seeing me, and it's just a, I just appreciate them, and and not just there, but all our our healthcare professionals. Al, I know people, our listeners are going to want to know: Did your results turn out well? Because in the past, I know you've had cancer in the past. For those who may not yep. know that, and you've been cancer free for a while. Uh, so how how did things work out? Because I know people will ask that. Yeah, three years ago I was diagnosed, and um, it, the tests all came out good. I have a couple of uh, nodules on my lungs that they don't think are, are cancer. They said it's a, a farmer's thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the Midwest, uh, we get those, and they say it's pretty common. So I go back in five months, so I'm, I'm trying to get it to a year, but it was <laughs> six months, and now I'm down to five, so I don't know how that happened. But everything was good. I have uh, no complaints whatsoever uh, about anything, so. Well, Al, we are very thankful for you. I was going to say, we are very thankful for you, and we wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, I hope everybody uh, comes to the cafe uh, where the food chain is missing a few links. They will have turkey, but Mm -hmm. the special is still the Heimlich Maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. Ask for a glass. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less air in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I love small towns where I'm not in anyone's way. You know, folks know that when you drive along and you can kind of stop and point and say, <laughs> I wonder what that building used to be, or didn't there used to be a cafe over here? And nobody honks at you or anything. <laughs> you come to a four-way stop and the person on the other side is saying, no, you go first. Karen Bergner, a Mankato um, lifetime friend, Worked at Vivian's Cafe in Heartland when she was a girl, and the food at Vivian's was so good, I probably remember it as being even better than it was. For years, Vivian served three meals a day, six days a week. Her fried rolls were the things legends are made of. And Karen admitted to being mystified when people insisted on putting a slice of cheese on an apple pie. And my father favored that arrangement. And folks, it's not bad. How could it be? It's still pie. <laughs> Remember, Heartless, while we're driving past, thanks for listening to me. Thank you, Karen, for your wonderful company. Uh, folks, do something wild today. Get out there and look at the bird before the snow comes. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Alan. And best wishes to you and Gail for a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our good friend, Al Bat. Always great to chat with him. It is 1035. Today is Monday. No, that's yesterday. It's Tuesday. I was looking at the good old Farmer's Almanac, and it talked about, uh, it just popped up, and I thought that was the latest. No, it's uh, actually, it's Tuesday.